in the first passage that we read, Isaiah chapter 1, and what we read in verse 18. Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And the title is this, Being Reasoned With. Being Reasoned With. For this is what God does with us. We can think that uh, spiritual things are beyond the capacity of words to somehow help us, that these are things too high and holy, too beyond and ethereal, for there to be words sufficient to convey those realities, bring to us those realities. Well, we have a Bible that tells us otherwise. We have words, and we do well to attend to those words, because there, in a sense, God is engaged in one long, sustained case of reasoning with us, pleading with us, explaining to us, describing to us, promising to us, warning us. The whole range of scripture, the whole counsel of God, can't do without a single page of it, not a single book of it. All of it's there for our instruction. And all of it, words, all of it, if you will, is God persuading us, God reasoning with us, God opening our eyes. And it's not simply an intellectual exercise, this or no. Uh, this has matters to do with the heart and the affections. This is something for the whole man, the whole woman. They're not simply learning things by rote or just uh, getting... Uh, heads around particular words and what they might or might not mean. But this is truth that is there to make the whole man, the whole woman free. And God gives us examples in places, principles, shows us about himself, teaches us about his glory, what that means, shows us places there and takes us well out of our depth. And tonight in our sermon there, we're going well out of our depth, matters to do with the Trinity one God, three persons, and our Saviour, one person, but both God and man. And there is thought a plenty to last us a lifetime, I'd suggest even an eternity, for us to try to fathom that, but it's all there. God persuading us of his glory, persuading us of his greatness, persuading us of his great, great love toward us, that this most high most excellent God, this all-holy, all-glorious God who is truth and uprightness, God who is righteousness, should actually favor sinners, should favor creatures that are the opposite of all that's described, and many other words I could have used to speak of God, the opposite of all of that. And yet he speaks to us so happily so comfortably, so compellingly, as if to lay hold of us, knowing what would be our doubts, what would be our fears, what would be the questions that we have, and reasoning with us, coming to us to persuade us that, no, this great God can be our friend, that we can relate to him in a way that is one of 
unspeakable intimacy, nearness and proximity. The preachers can stand and make before you, on behalf of God, incredible offers and invitations. And there's, there are promises for us as people, if we will believe, and if we will hear, come now, and let us reason together and hear that. Incredible benefits and helps. Incredible standing that we can have and enjoy. Not only when we're here, and here is a preacher standing here, and here are hymns that take our minds to high and great things. But you will last you into tomorrow, through the week, will last you into the next week, will last you all your life, and will take you happily into eternity. And so here we are being reasoned with, or being reasoned with everywhere, but most explicitly, aren't we, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. And it wasn't as if these people were in a good place. Well, we read, didn't we, there? And well, we read indeed what uh, the state of Israel in that day, or particularly here in the southern kingdom of Judah, the life of worship in, in Jerusalem, was in a horrendous state. And the people were in a horrendous state. All this trampling of his courts that he speaks about in verse 12, and all these futile sacrifices and the offering of their incense in the temple, he declared it to be an abomination. Those are strong words. Those just aren't they there? That these people were not in a good place. Their iniquities, their sacred meetings, his soul, he declares, he hates. So there's hope for them when he says to such, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. That's who you are, he says. Let's not beat about the bush. That's who you are. You have to own that. You'll have to acknowledge that. But I have words of hope for you. Well, dear friends, there are words of hope then for us here this morning. God is not speaking to us in code or in rules. You've not had to pass some degree course in Greek to come near to this or Hebrew. You've not had to have perfect memory of all the passages of scripture in order to have attended here this morning. You've not had to make some elaborate offerings or had to perform some great ritual before you can be in sufficient state to receive any help or any instruction. God speaks to you and he speaks to me just where you are, just who you are, whatever state you have come here in. And he would say to you, come and let us reason together. I'm not required of you the mastery of some great riddle or some great mystery. I will speak to you in plain language, plain speech. We'll have some plain dealing he would say, you know, it's sin, actually, that puts up all the objections. It is sin. It is that which we need to wash ourselves from, to put away. That which actually is the evil doing, the evil thinking, the evil principle in our souls. The thing that hates doing good, that does not seek justice, but actually do plenty of oppressing and be very careless of the needs of the fathers, the widow, our neighbours. That's what's putting up the objections. Sin. That's our worst enemy before, friends. That is. That's what's making us obstinate and unreasonable people and dismissive of the reasoning of God. Well, friends, is it not time today to be done with sin? It's not time today to hear the word of God and be reasoned with. Well, I make that appeal there to non-Christian folks such as maybe here 
this morning, listen well, but primarily, actually, I want to speak to those of us who are believers. Because would you believe this? We can still be the most obstinate and the most disobedient when it comes to believing what it is here that God most certainly wants us to be clear about, most certainly wants to reason with us and over-persuade us and push past the stubbornness and obstinacy of sin. Say this, these are the dealings that I would have with you and continue to have with you. So my first heading we've got there, there is something for the Christian to hear. Something for the non-Christian to hear, here for certain there is. But something for the Christian to hear as well. Because we see, do we not, the huge contrast that there is between being in a state where there are our sins like scarlet, unmissable, so deeply, deeply visible that you simply can't miss them, that they cannot be overlooked in some sense, that we can't sort of pretend they're not there. They are just shouting at us. Well, such sins as these, we are told, can be white as snow. It's borrowing an illustration there, isn't it? Seeing Kreitsch there, and well, we do get snow here, and those of you local to the area will know that. Yeah, I see it. And the sun is upon it, and the beautiful, pristine whiteness, the purity of it. And so God has reached here for an illustration to help us to bring something that, that has such evident whiteness and purity about it. Well, that, that can be you. Well, indeed, as a Christian, that is you. Or another illustration here, our red light crimson. Again, this is something so, so apparent, so, so unmissable that you can't overlook and ignore this, like a red stain there and a white shirt or something. Oh, what misery. Try and get that out of there. You can be scrubbing at that and sending it through the washing machine any number of times. And maybe still you can see something of it. Well, he says such stains as that. Such evident and unmissable stains as that can be as wool. Here, thinking again, seeing there. I've sent me a video. I was elsewhere yesterday, but saw the lambs in the field and the wool there. And there, there it is. Well, we know, of course, the illustration can't conjure up the absolute perfection of whiteness, but we, we get it. White as wool. Really? Can God do that for you and for me? And does God keep that? As, as the basis on which he looks upon us, not sort of seeing, oh, that scarlet there, oh, that, that crimson there. So God must hide his eyes from us in a still wretchedness in that way. Well, we have to say this, of course, that the law cannot be annulled, cannot be abridged, that where there are those stains, all that sin brings to our testimony, to our lives, all of the marring, disgracing things that sin brings to us, the words that are there, the words that are not there, the intentions of the heart, will even at their best still carry a baggage and a load of sin, still bring that tainting effect, that crimson instilling in it, that ingraining of, of that scarlet there. Unmissable, particularly in the eyes of God, of course, whose gaze is perfect, who misses nothing. 
We we overlook things too readily, look, overlook them in ourselves and each other. Well, it is part of our what we are bid to do, to help each other in our weakness there. But strictly speaking, the law holds it all there before the gaze of an all-seeing God. And these are works, aren't they, of high treason against the king, the king of the world, the king of the universe. And the law is not some abstract code, but it is God himself invested in it, that he doesn't have his word and that he's some distance removed from it. But no, that is him. He, he is speaking and brings the entirety of all that he is into it, that he loves what is good and bids us indeed seek justice because he does, that he would have us rebuke the oppressor because he most certainly does. He'd have us defend the fatherless because he has a heart, compassion toward them. And he would have us speak up for the widows, speak up for the marginalized, if you will, because he certainly will speak up for them and plead their case. That's how he is. And we should love him. And we should therefore, as he explained here, love our neighbor in such ways as he would have us love our neighbor, because that's what he is. That's who he is. That's the person that he is. And of course, we fail miserably in coming anywhere near to any of that. But of course, here is what he is saying to us. And this is where he's reasoning together. That if we reasoned on the basis of the law, there would be nothing. You would not be able to say, come now, as though to, to, to break the spell of, of bad thinking, as though to cut through the obstinacy and stubbornness. But no, he has something helpful to say to us. Though that would be the state by nature and ruled by justice of where we are, but not so. We so, so different, he is saying can be so, so other. And I can speak to you comfortably, happily. And I can offer to you something so, so different. That all of those things which the law would hold against us, and that which are in truth so, so unmissable, and so not to be forgotten, cannot be brushed aside, they can be transformed. And the whole basis upon which I regard you, and in which you can relate to me, can be so transformed. And so spectacularly reversed, that the contrast is as we have it here. Something like scarlet will be as snow. Something like crimson in its redness will be like wool. And it's the important subject here, not of a, a shirt with an obstinate stain in it, not some piece of linen. Oh, to our regrets, we got the tomato ketchup on. Something far more serious. As we've been saying, these are our sins. And in the eyes of God now, he sees something white and pure, and he sees something spotless, and he sees something like wool. And though borrowing from the imperfect world of nature in order to make the contrast, we get that contrast. And how much the more when it is the matter of our sin and us as sinners in the sight of a holy God. And where do we look? Well, here's the Old Testament, still types and shadows, still anticipation, great promises, and the basis on which those promises will be fulfilled awaiting the true fulfillment, because it's going to be Christ. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to make possible why today we can talk so happily about these matters that such assurance and such promises can be made, because they're underwritten now by the Son of God. And it is perhaps a little startling and confusing to us that it's going to be his blood, 
unmissably, unforgettably shed, that it is going to be him offering himself all that bleeding sacrifice in order that, yes, then you and I can be in this regard, white as snow and though crimson can be as wool, because without that shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sin. There will be no new status for sinners where now they, they are pardoned and forgiven, where now they can look to that sacrifice, that sacrifice that is all blood, that is all a broken body, that is all him being brought here into such subjection and bondage to death. That's from that we can draw the conclusion that we should, that God pardons sinners because theirs is some bearing sin. And if any would come, now you be reasoned with, you come. For here is the answer. And if you're feeling the guilt for your sin, well, sure, you're feeling something that the Holy Spirit would have you feel. But then beyond it, it have you know, peace is made. There is Christ Jesus. There is the Lord of glory, the Prince of life, but brought low to death that there we might find the sacrifice we need, that we might place all our trust and confidence in him today, and that we might therefore know peace with God. Justification, that's what it's saying to us there, that a holy God pardons sin. It doesn't just, as it were, say, well, now that's better, that's a little bit okay. No, say that is totally okay. Because upon the sinner, upon all of them, still remnants of sin there who among us can say we do not sin even believers who've been on pilgrimage years we say still there's so much that's wrong in me oh yes but now upon us is given righteousness merits all of the achievements of a perfect life the lord jesus christ's life in fact all of that wonderful living that he did all of that perfection all of that beautiful balance and measure of life, of justice yet love and righteousness yet compassion, of holiness yet willingness to stoop down to sinful people and to help them. All of that, which in the Father's eyes is beautiful, is so, so, so good. He then takes that and says to the sinner, and I now give that to you. And I will now look upon you and deal with you as though you had lived the life of my son, as though you now were, were the one that had those works, yes, those works that were as white as snow, and those actions and intentions and desires that were as wool, so pure. Because now I see my son's thoughts and intentions, and I see his pure and beautifully holy life regulated according to all my commandments, obeying my law. He he who is clean inside, who he who did no evil to have to cease from, he who was instinctively good, he who always sought justice, rebuked the oppressor, how the Pharisees heard from him, defended the fatherless, pleaded for the widow. But now all his works and his plans and his intentions and motives, I look upon as yours. Wonderful. Friends, that today is such, such good news. It's good news for sinners to hear. For those still, wherever you are, friend, wherever you are on the internet, hear it, believe it. This is a great Christ. But also for Christians to hear, for us to hear it, hear it again. More to hear it, believe it. 
he would he would reason with us. We read in Acts 17 of Paul there in Thessalonica, looking to persuade and reasoning with people. And well, some heard and some didn't, didn't they? And the Jews who stirred up all the the evildoers in the marketplace and got them there to complain that this man who's turned the world upside down has come here. And indeed he had, and indeed the world should be turned upside down. And we need turning upside down if we're still in our sins. But friends, as Christians, we can sometimes try and turn the world back in the wrong sense and not have it in its upside down sense where evil doers and unrighteous people can hear from a holy God their sins are now gone and they are white as snow. I can hear red like crimson but as wool. That's turning the world upside down. Oh, happy world upside down. Happy you and me if today we believe these things, that this is a divine overturning. This is divine chaos brought in, if you like. That what seems so improbable and impossible is very definitely probable and is very, very possible, in fact, is certain. And you and I need to be persuaded of that, reasoned with in that, to stay with that. Always, always. But here is the fact that in Christ, the sins like scarlet, white as snow, Red like crimson should be as wool. My second heading, too good to be true. Question mark, too good to be true. Well, the gospel means good news, so we should take a hint from that, should we not? And we should remain convinced that all that God has said, be it in the Old Testament, be it now in the New Testament, with our Lord so clearly portrayed to us as crucified there in the words of Scripture, that it has not been rescinded or revoked. That as we begin another week, here another Lord's Day, nothing changed when perhaps we we're here last Lord's Day, the beginning of last week. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since the Reformation took of these things and brought them back into circulation in the church and in wider culture of that day. Nothing, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since we benefited from revivals in times past, which did nothing really but bring this truth with fresh power from heaven back into mainstream thinking in the churches. Nothing. Nothing has changed. And so, friends, there is no small print to say, ah, we missed that, didn't we? Oh, when we got there to the judgment throne, we we missed that. We misinformed you. We told you, yes, he did die upon the cross, but that there was a but, and there was some small print with this but. That there were some terms and conditions there that did require of you and me some extraordinary uh, religious exercise in order to qualify. That there was a perfection, some perfect service that we should render, some absolute uh, precision that was needed of us. And without it, that is it all undone. There is no small print in that way. There is an obedience required, surely. And if we are disinclined to love the Lord, love his commandments, to do his law, then there's a problem. You never perfectly do the law, neither will I. And that is not what is required here. But that you should love that law, that certainly is an expectation. If we do not love the Ten Commandments or see little place for being just and doing good, then I would worry if I were you, friend, this day. 
But if if you're able to say, well, imperfect though I am, I want to do better than this and I, I want to love the Lord, then I, it's only good news, isn't it, that we bring to our hearing. So Romans 8, let me just read verses 31 and following, which really is us being reasoned with. Here is the apostle Paul, just as in Thessalonica with unbelievers. Here he is with Christians reasoning with us, pushing through stubborn resistance and questions. And yes, buts, but isn't there some small print we've missed? There's no small print. And he's going to show this. Leave you and me nowhere to hide, but only to conclude this is a glorious salvation we have. He says, what then shall we say to these things? He's, He's going to muster up some rejections here. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I could go on, or we could finish that chapter, which you will know well, I'm sure. And all it does is bring more and more reasoning, saying, come, let us reason together. You have questions, and Paul raises the questions. The apostle knows the hearts of men because God knows the hearts of men. He's speaking here, and he is leaving us nowhere to hide because every objection we make, God has answered it. The God who justifies, well, if God is satisfied, Dare we not be satisfied? And who is then bringing a charge against God's elect? Well, actually, we'll come in a moment to the person who is. But he has no word to bring because actually, as we see, God who justifies, who dare then condemn, who dare try to undo the reasoning of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And we're told, what a sufficient Christ we have who died. Furthermore, because Paul is saying he's adding reasons to reasons here. Well, he died. We can have great peace about that, what he died to obtain. Ah, yes, but he's risen and and is even at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? Well, he's making intercession for us in all our weakness and all of our need. He's not praying for people fondly imagining that we are the finished article. He's praying for us because we're not the finished article. And he wants us to be moved nearer and nearer to his likeness. That's what it's like. And Psalm 103 Again, the case just goes on being made. Just reading from verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1 and following. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When we hear that, I hope we do hear that. This is the one who forgives iniquities, why he heals diseases, sometimes of the body, but moreover the soul, redeeming our life from destruction. That's where our sins there, red and scarlet and crimson, would take us. But instead, with the righteousness of Christ, Crowning us, crowning our life with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh, it's not too good to be true. It can never be too good to be true. We can never believe this enough. 
We sometimes fear that uh, this is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous doctrine, that it'll spoil you and me, that overindulged, overthought about, it'll be the ruin of us. We'll become lawless people, careless people. We will become a people thinking too many liberties we can take. Well, friends, I disagree with that, and I think the Apostle Paul does there, doesn't he? Never hear enough of it. Never believe enough of the sufficiency of Christ and what comes through justification by faith and what is conferred upon us in the helps and ministry of the Holy Spirit that which his adopted children have. So my third heading, do not lean on the devil for help. Who would we say? Oh, but let's think about it. Who is the one who condemns? Who will bring a charge against the elect? I'm sure Paul could have answered that question and knew how he had in mind in bringing it. Why, the devil? That's the one. Principalities and powers, or Paul is persuaded, he says later, they can't separate us from the love of Christ. But they do their level best to bring doubts and to rob us of our assurance and to take of this great doctrine and somehow lose it from sight for us. Oh, the devil will bring a charge against God's elect. He sure would. And, you know, we can be making him our advocate. When we have an advocate in Christ in First John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, will tell you this. But we can be secretly, even without realizing it, employing him to be our advocate and listening to him. And we begin to hear his charges and condemnations. And we lose sight of what we should keep forever in sight. Well, the devil can stir up oversensitive consciences. He can. He can bring people who very tender in their conscience, so, so wanting to please God. And he will bring to them trouble and introduce trouble and have them become sensitive to that which really is not there to be sensitive about and to worry about things which really should not be worried about but the devil will incite them and they'll begin to think of themselves well if i don't worry about these things i'm losing my way i'm losing my bearings I'm becoming careless i should always be worried i should always be in that sense of have i got this right have i got this wrong have i have i done enough here have i done too little there and the devil would urge you on in this it make you think that actually that's that's what's needed here to be like that, to be always fearful, to be always feeling guilty, to be always worrying. Have I done enough? Is 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 this right? Is this wrong? And to be just putting energy into that. He's a master at creating fictional stains, reintroducing crimson, as though he he would sort of say to us here, well, it might look as though it's white, but I tell you what, there's a bit of scarlet in here. Ah, there's, there's something wrong in that, you know, and this there, we're looking, and we're looking again, and sure enough, he's showing us things there, and now we're just fixated on that, we're losing sight of Christ, we're fixated on what he's showing us, and sure, he'll be right, we're none of us perfect there, our words, our actions, they none of us match quite to what they should be, and we have to own it, and we have to admit it, but the devil would have us drawn into it, losing sight where help is to be found, and seeing just that, and making it over to us to deal with it. It's over to you. You'll have to work harder. You'll have to try harder, pray harder. You'll, you'll have to atone for it yourself in some way. You can't rely on 
his atonement now. No, you, you, you've disgraced him. You've shown carelessness here. If you can sin like that, then he must be showing something awry in your heart. And you can see we're on a downward spiral all the way. And what looked like wool at one time, he said, no, 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 red light, crimson here. And if we're believing him and leaning on him for help, we are in big trouble. And he's a master also of introducing false piety. That he can make us think that feeling guilty is actually very pious. And, and that's actually a good sign. And he'll encourage us in that. And if he's encouraging us in that and we're listening to him, then we will be actually mightily discouraged where we need to be encouraged. Now, we're losing sight of the one who is really the source of holiness and the source of progress, as we've been thinking about in our progressive sanctification sermons. We're losing the reasoning that God would have us stay with, which is all about his son, all about the sufficiency of him. Do not lean on the devil for help. It'll be a hard, sad, miserable existence for a Christian, that. And I would urge you, stay with the reasoning of God. Final heading, do not let the past hold you captive. And we have to say here, the devil works in this, but oh, we can contribute so unhelpfully to our own progress and our joy in the faith by letting the past control us and hinder us. The guilt. The guilt of the past, past things that we may deeply, deeply regret. Things that we said and we deeply regret them. And you know how it is. You, well, I was away and visiting a historic town. And then, you know, in such places, there are blue plaques, aren't there, telling you some worthy who lived there and what they did. And I think, oh, I've never heard of that worthy person, but I know them now. Or, or somebody you have heard of, and they lived there for a while, or they died there, or whatever they did there, and there's a blue plaque. But we can be surrounded by, if you will, red plaques. Or you said this here at this spot. That's the house where you did that thing. And there it stands as, oh, there's a house, but you always see is that red plaque with your name on. Such and such a person did this awful thing here. And we just live haunted by that. And we go back to it. We revisit it. And we're there. And so often, another place we see, ah, oh, there's another red plaque speaking to us here, not showing us something white as snow, but red like crimson here, scarlet here. And we can live controlled by that and lose our peace and our joy and our hope. Well, friends, it's time to wash ourselves of these things too to believe upon the shed blood, to really believe the reasoning that Paul employed at Thessalonica, where the people heard it right, that he was preaching, well, that there is a proper king. There are kings and there are authorities on earth. There are temporal powers and in their best, they, they do a good job there. But there is a king above. There is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are told, well, look, look there to him. Cease to believe in the power of your sin and its control and the past and the guilt that holds us. Trust him. Trust in that shed blood. And trust him that confessing those things, actually he praying for us sends the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. That is not an inactive thing. It's not, well, that's good. You've mentioned that again. Well, Good, but I just sort of here with my arms folded, 
don't think I'm going to help you. I'll see I'll help you. That's, this is what he has come to bring. Assurance and peace that what we see there when confessed white as snow, when confessed to him as wool, and done and finished. Move on, dear friends. There'll be more things to discover. There'll be more to repent of. For sure there will be. But do it with hope and do it with the finished sacrifice there upon which God reasons with us, implores us, pleads with us. Look how sufficient my son is for you. Look all that he has accomplished. Don't try to do something here in your own strength. Don't add some works in here. Don't stay. Seeing joy that is within reach. Seeing what Christ has obtained for you. Adoption as a son of God. Don't have that lost from your sight and its benefit not working as powerfully as it could and as it should. You can expect more than that. So, my friends, be be reasoned with. Non-Christian, oh, be reasoned with. What more can you have than God himself in his son dying on behalf of your actions and intentions and thoughts that God declares to be sinful? You have a sin bearer. You have a sacrifice. And, oh, Christian, do not despair. Do not stay captive. Do not make the devil your advocate. But you keep in mind what you and I first knew when we believed. Christ is as good as this, that he atoned for those sins. Why all sins? And the answer is still yes, he did. Rest assured in it. Always let scripture, because this is God's word, reason with you. That's the voice of God in here. Don't let the devil reason with you. Disaster. Don't let your guilty conscience reason with you. Disaster. Be subject always to the word of God, because the word of God always leads you safely and will always, always lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the safest place to be. Amen.